Anybody have any divine appointments this week? Opportunities to share your faith? Tell somebody about the Lord? Hopefully. I pray that it works out that way. That God sets up these times, these opportunities, these uh, chance meetings that aren't so chance. And uh, if you were here Sunday night for the movie, there was something in there that just... It just really uh, blessed my heart because it, I wish I had heard this before Sunday morning service last week because of something that was so powerful that was uh, a story that was related in that, uh, in that video. Over in the Middle East where it's so dangerous for especially young women, extremely dangerous if they're not accompanied by their husbands or fathers or somebody, this young girl had to grab a taxi, and they said that's very, very dangerous in and of itself. Very often they're kidnapped and tortured and horrible things done to them. But she had to get a taxi, and so she got in the taxi, and a Muslim man driving the taxi, and she, a Christian young girl, and, and she's riding, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to her and said, tell him that Jesus loves him. And you could just imagine the terror that hit her heart. And she thought, I can't do that. I, there's no way I can do that. She said she thought about waiting until it stopped and then running and yelling it over her shoulder type thing, you know. And, and she said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So she had him take her to a very crowded area of town uh, to where she felt like there was a little bit of security there. And she got out and she paid him. And then she said, and by the way, Jesus loves you. And the man got out of the cab and he said, can I talk to you for a minute? And she said, sure. And he said, you know, God gave me a dream last night. And in that dream, a young girl was going to get my taxi and she was going to actually drive me to this intersection. And she was going to get out and pay and tell me that Jesus loves me. And it shook him obviously to a very core. And she was able to lead him to the Lord, and, and he became a Christian. And this is what I'm talking about with divine appointments. They're not all that dramatic, but they're the same thing. The Spirit of the Lord will lead you to people to speak to, to talk to, to get, share your faith with. And you don't have to have fancy words. You don't have to, to have the Bible down pat and know every, every verse. And you just have to share what Jesus has done. That's what witnessing is, sharing what you have seen. But I, that, just, that just struck a chord to me. What a wonderful testimony that was. Second Chronicles chapter 26, if you would. Good to have my grumpiest granddaughter. I get in trouble whenever I say that. She is. She's a grumpy little thing. When she wakes up in the morning, she'll rip your throat out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until she's had her coffee. Give her that bottle. She's, uh, she's happier after that. Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles chapter 26. I want to share something that I hope will help you and I think is very applicable for today. And I'm going to read this out of the Amplified because I think it just brings out the story so well. Are you there? Second Chronicles chapter 26. Verse 1. You there? 
And it says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king. Wow, that's a testimony. That's a, that's a sermon right there. 16 years old? Make him king? Wow. Made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. And he built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king Amaziah slept with his fathers in death. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord in accordance with everything that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought and inquired of and longed for the Lord, God caused him to prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the walls of Gath, the walls of Jebna, and the walls of Ashdod. And he built cities near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs and lived in Gerbal and the... Meunites and the Ammonites paid tribute or money to Uzziah and his fame spread abroad even as far as the border of Egypt and he became very strong. Uzziah also built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and the valley gate and the corner buttress of the wall and fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns for he had great deal of livestock both in the lowlands and the plains. He also had farmers and uh, vine dressers in the hill country, in the fertile fields, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which went into combat by divisions according to the number of their muster, as recorded by Zeal, the scribe and Messiah, the official, under the direction of Hananiah of the king's commanders. The total number of the heads of the fathers' households of valiant men was 2,600. Under their command was the army of 307,500 who took wage, who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and the sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made machines of war invented by skillful men, and he put on towers on the corners of the uh, battlements for the purpose of shooting arrows and large stones, and his fame spread far, for he was marvel- marvelously helped until he was strong. Interesting, that last verse. But look at what it says from here. But when Uzziah became strong, he became proud. Proud of himself and his accomplishments, that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful and sinned against the Lord his God, for he went into the temple of the Lord and burned incense on the altar of incense. And Azariah and the priests went in after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, men of courage. They opposed King Uzziah and said unto him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah, with a censer in his hand to burn incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests of the Lord, uh, the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. As Azariah, the priest, chief priest, and all the priests looked toward him, behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there, and he also hurried out. To get out, because the Lord had stricken him. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, 
And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And his son, Jotham, took charge of the king's household, judging and governing the people in the land. And I'll stop there. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask God that you will direct every word, every thought. Lord, empower and embolden me to give your word as it should be given under your anointing, under your direction, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I know what I was doing when I was 16. And it wasn't leading a nation by any stretch of the imagination. What an amazing thing to think. And of course, there's areas in the Bible where you read of kings taking the throne when they were eight. You know, and different, different age. I just, it's hard to conceive of that, to be that young. And then he reigns in this land for 52 years. Now, when you have a leader, and we see it, when Ronald Reagan was in, the country followed his lead. When George Bush was in, the nation followed his lead. Bill Clinton, whatever. You see the nation tend to, to uh, I don't know, conform in a sense to their leadership. You see uh, their character, their, uh, their views, their passions and stuff come out in, in much of the nation by their leadership. He led very strongly for the Lord. And he followed the, the, the leadership or the example of his father. And we sometimes forget how important that is because we live our lives. We get up in the morning and we do our thing. We go to work. Uh, we, we get our work done. We come home. We, we live our lives. And sometimes we forget that our children, our grandchildren are watching everything that we do. What we do is such an example to them. It is said by experts in the field that an alcoholic, uh, the children of an alcoholic are four times more likely to also be an alcoholic. They follow their parents. Drug addicts are, are closer to eight to ten times more likely to become drug addicts if their parents are drug addicts. I have also read on the other side that I believe it was uh, the Wesley's family that there was ten generations of preachers that came from that family because of the righteousness, because of what was instilled in them. It's so vitally important. And I often refer to uh, my experiences as a police officer because it's so applicable to society so often. But I can tell you that most people I deal with, it doesn't matter how old they are, are acting just like their parents. It doesn't, that's what they're doing. If I'm dealing with a 30-year-old who's wanting to fight and cuss and scream and call me every name in the book and we have to take him down and, and drag him into the car and all that, chances are his dad also didn't have self-control. It's passed down. It, it is an example that they set. Uzziah was following the example that his father set. That's why it's so important, folks, for you and I to live like saints of God around our kids and everywhere else. People are looking. Our children are looking. That little granddaughter over there is playing with her stuff, but I guarantee she's absorbing more than what I realize she's absorbing. Always blew me away with my son, especially, because Jimmy was always the doing-his-own-thing person. When he was real little, he'd be over there driving a car around the back of a chair or the back of the pew at church or looking through the hymnal or doing whatever, and he was four million miles away, I thought, until we got in the car going home and then he would ask me something very specific and very intelligent about what happened in the service. 
Dad, what'd you mean about this? Or what did the preacher mean when he said that? And I'm like, you weren't even there mentally. You weren't even there. But he was. He was drawing on that. They absorb everything and they remember. It's vitally important that we set that example for them. And he continued to seek God. He followed the leading of Zechariah, the prophet. He followed that passionately. And because of that, the land followed. And we have, you know, I keep referring to our leadership, but it's so true. We, when Ronald Reagan went in, you remember the, the, the nation was at a moral morale, a low morale at the time. The people felt defeated. They felt there was no hope. Reagan come in and all of a sudden Lee Greenwood's singing, God bless America. And everybody was patriotic and there was flags, you know, everywhere. And that was just, it, the people followed that leadership. And we see that happen when, when uh, Obama came in and it was almost the opposite effect that came into the country. That leadership affects the land, it affects the people. And Uriah was leading the land in the things of God. And God was blessing him. Watch out. That's when things usually go to pieces with people. When God blesses them. The more God blesses, the more people tend to forget that He's blessing and the more God blesses the land, the more they tend to turn away from God. And individuals are the same way. They get blessed and all of a sudden they don't have time for God anymore. The very one who has given them that blessing. This land was founded on Christian principles. We, our, our forefathers uh, came in here and infused this, this nation that they were birthing with the things of God. Not all of them were Christians. There was some deists, there was some atheists that were involved in the founding of this land, but even the atheists understood the value of Christian principles. And I was listening to a uh, 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 teaching this week where the, the subject of it was the way the world views us. And this, this teacher was saying... When you go to sociologists across the world, they're confused. They don't understand how a nation as relatively young as America could have done as much as America has done. They're confused. They don't understand it. And he said, when you get down to it, most of them will attribute it to the fact that America had Christian principles. It was those principles that brought strength and stability and unity to this land that made it so prosperous. And those principles make a difference. And so Uzziah was blessed in amazing ways. God poured it out. It didn't matter if it was cattle. They had, he had cattle. He had vineyards. They were prosperous in food. Everybody had something to eat. They were prosperous in their produce. They were prosperous in their inventions. He had some of the, the, the most up-to-date technology of the day. You know, they had the iPad and the iPhone, all those things back, you know, it was, it was in the birth. That would have been the iPhone uh, 0.5 or something, I don't know, way back then. But they had it all. He was blessed militarily, 307,000 soldiers. Now you think, oh, that, that's, you know, that's quite a bit. We're talking about a time when the whole world probably had less than a billion people. A time when it was relatively small. Today, the United States of America has about 307,000 people in the Air Force. That's comparative. That, that just tells you how massively powerful 
this people was at that time. To have a standing army of 307,500 people is incredible for that day. He was powerfully blessed. He secured the land. They brought about prosperity. They had the food. They had everything. And then it says, He was blessed until He was strong. We've done it ourselves. Calling out to God when we're in a mess. And forgetting Him when we have a blessing. It's so easy to do. God, get me out of this. And He gets us out of it and we go about our day. Thank you. I'm on my way. And we forget what God has done. Uzziah forgot what God has done. God blessed him in so many ways. And it says that that prosperity, that blessing, begat what? Pride. Look what I did. Look what I have accomplished. Nobody in the world has it together as well as me. I have blessed this land. We have it all. There's nothing more that can be done. We have, we have got it together. And you know who gets really, really, really offended at that? God. You can imagine. Can you take some great gift? You go buy a car for your, your teenager and you take it out to him. You say, here kid, I bought your car. And he says, oh, thank you. Boy, that's awesome what I got here. Ah, oh, man, it's all me. And goes around and brags about what he got and never acknowledges that my parents gave me this. My parents sacrificed to get me this. My parents did this. It's so easy to do. We forget. We get a past that. We, 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 we fail to acknowledge what God has truly done. And corruption always follows pride. Funny thing about people, wherever there's people, there's going to be corruption. <laughs> That's just kind of one of those things. There's going to be corruption when there's people. And that corruption follows that pride and that arrogance. It, it leads them right into that path. So he started to act corrupt. And his unfaithfulness started to come across to the people. And if, when you get into the next chapter, you see the next king. And he's, he's trying to serve the Lord. But the people were still living in the corruption that was seeded by Uzziah. That corruption had overtaken them. He started to, he began to sin against the Lord. And then he did something very significant. He decided, I've got it all. I have it all. I am all. It's all about me. I got this thing together. I don't need the priest. I'll go in here and I will worship God the way I want to worship God. I'm kind of tired of the way they do it. I don't like the way they follow these particular rules. I don't want what they're doing. I'm going to do it myself. And so he went in there and he got the incense and he said, I'm going to serve God. It's going to be about me. God calls and anoints and places people in position. We get in trouble when we try to go beyond that position. God was not happy when Uzziah got out of that. You know, it, it's kind of like the Garden of Eden. It started way back there. You can have anything you want. You've got it all. You can have every fruit, every food, every plant. You can have the mountains and the trees and the fish and the bears and everything is all yours except for that one tree. You know what the people do? I want that tree. Gotta have that one. But you got the whole world. You can literally have anything in the whole world except that one thing. 
And they say, I've got to have that one thing. Isaiah wasn't satisfied with having the whole world. Having the biggest military in the world. Having the most technology, the most power, the most blessing. I have to have that one thing that does not belong to me. They always have to have that one more thing. We see it all over the place. We see it within Christian women. God gives them everything they want. They're blessed in a hundred million different ways. God says one thing you can't do is be a preacher. You can't be a pastor. What do they want to do? They want to be a preacher and a pastor. I got to do it. It's got to be. God says anything else you can do, just don't do that. Well, I got to do that. We see it in David. When he had the kingdom, he had everything, anything he could possibly want. Every woman. Could you imagine the women throwing themselves at David, King David? But what did he have to have? He had to have that one woman, that one woman that didn't belong to him and he should not have touched. I have to have that one until Nathan the prophet came into him and he said, you, you are the one. What would we do with a guy who had all the sheep in the world except for one, but he demanded that one and he took it away from that poor guy? What would you, what would we do? And David said, we'd kill that guy. We'd wipe him out. What an evil fella. Nathan said, yeah, that was you. That was you that did that. Uzziah was the same thing. The one thing that God said you can't have, he said, I gotta have. And he went in there. You know why? Because religion is so much more fun when we get to set the parameters. It's way more fun when I get to make the rules. Because if I set religion up the way I like it, it's so much more comfortable to me. And this is what's happening across the Christian world today. Instead of People obeying God, people are expecting God to obey them. Instead of God setting the standard, people set the standard and expect God to follow that standard. He became a priest unto himself and he said, I can worship God my way. Now you remember the battle of the brothers when Cain killed Abel? It's pretty much the same thing. God said, this is how I expect to be worshipped. Abel said, no problem. I can handle that. Cain said, "Eh, no, no, no. I don't have that stuff. I I raise fruits and vegetables and stuff. I don't, no, I can't do a meat sacrifice like that. I don't have that stuff. And so he chose to worship God his way. God said, you don't worship me your way. You worship me my way. It's the way I expected to be. We reject what is uncomfortable and and, and it becomes our own design, our own plan. And we hear it all the time. Well, I just don't really believe in organized religion. That's nothing but a crock. They're always just trying to get your money. You know what that really means? I'm not willing to submit to what God's plan. I'm going to do it my way. And that's an excuse. Well, I don't really believe in going to church because I think I can get everything of God without going to church. In other words, you're not willing to do what God tells you to do. You know, I don't, I I try not to um, shame anybody into coming to church because, as I've said many times, if you love God, you'll be in church. Listen, across this world right now, today, 
There are people that got their children up out of bed, got dressed and went and hid someplace in a church type gathering under the threat of direct death. If they are caught, they will be burned, they will be beaten, they will be imprisoned, they could be killed, their children will be slaughtered in front of them, and yet those people got up, got dressed, got their kids together, and went and hid behind a tree or under a, 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 a bridge or in a train car or wherever they had to hide in the woods in order to come together and do what we do freely today. And they do it under the fear of death. How dare an American who claims to be a Christian sit at home and say, well, I got something better to do today than go to church. How dare we do that? Ah, I've got something better to do. It's not about church. It's about obeying God. God established the church and many men and women have died for the cause of the church. And yet, people just easily reject it. Why? Because they went in and they burned incense unto themselves. I can do it my way. I can worship God my way. I don't have to obey God. Those preachers, all they do is talk about tithing and, and giving and they just want my money. In other words, you're greedy. You're stingy. You don't want to obey God. Well, I just don't believe I have to do that to go to heaven. Well, you probably don't. Whatever. I'm not going to argue with you about it. And you know, I don't come up here and shame you about giving either. I believe that when people love God, they are givers. I don't have to come up here and preach about it all the time. I don't have to shame you. I don't have to, to beat you down about it. I just know that if you love Almighty God, you are a giver. You are faithful. This is why Uzziah went in and decided to burn incense unto, him, uh, unto the Lord by himself because he wanted to do it his way. He wanted religion to be the way he liked religion to be. <clears throat> you see, when somebody's called, and Uzziah wasn't called, he was called to be king. He was not called to be priest. Called is different than gifted. There's a lot of people that are gifted who can speak better than I speak, and they're better public speakers, and they're better at teaching than I am, but they don't have the gift to preach. Let me tell you about gifting. Gifting is what happened with Samuel. When God spoke to him in the middle of the night and said, Samuel, and he jumped up and said, what? And he ran in the other room, and he, to Eli, he says, what? You call me? No, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And he goes back and all of a sudden he says, Samuel, and he jumps back up and runs in there. Did you call me? No, go lay down. And the third time God says, Samuel, and he jumped up and ran in there and he said, did you call me? He said, no, but I'm catching on that maybe this is God. You need to lay there and listen to what he has to say. And Samuel starts getting that direction and that infilling and that guidance and that empowering and that character and all of the infusion of what God wants him to do being poured into him. That's what calling is. And you know the funny thing about calling? Look throughout the scripture. Most of the people that are called tried their best to run the other way. They did. How many prophets did you, do you see in the Bible where they said, hey, I was born and raised. I was just thinking I'd be a prophet. I just want to be a prophet. Most of them are like Moses, like, oh, no, don't give me that job. I can't even talk good. Forget that. I don't want it. No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. How about Jonah when God gave him a message and said, go deliver this message. And he said, I'm not the one going to do that. No, I'm not going to do it. And he got to ride it out three days in the belly of a fish. Uh, I think I'd rather go preach than sit in the belly of a fish. 
Most of the time when somebody is called, they try to get away from it and they can't. Because the Holy Spirit will drive it down on them. They can't escape it. They try to move. They try to run. They try to argue. They try to fight. I don't want this job. I've told you many times. I did that. I can't get away from this thing. I try. And God puts me back up here. He does. It's a calling that God places. Uzziah was not called. He may have been gifted even. He may have had the ability to do it. Being called of God is different. When you're called, you get a a powerful uh, prophet of God who can proclaim the truth. When they're not called, but they're just gifted, you get a Joel Olstein. Oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. (laughs) God, God's called people change the world. Gifted people just... uh, Hype people up. They inspire people to do something for a while. But, but call people is what changed the world. When those, when those apostles went out, do you think they were, you know, we, we sometimes make the, the apostles, uh, supermen. You know, we think they have the big red S on their chest and they never did anything wrong. I think we'd be really disappointed if we knew them personally. Not that I'm saying they were not godly, holy, righteous, powerful men, because I genuinely think they were, but they were human. And that humanity would really get on our nerves. (laughs) It would really bother us at times. And so I think we we make them up to be these grand supermen when they were just men, but they were men who were called and anointed by God, and they changed the world, and 2,000 plus years later, they are still changing the world. This is what I also took from that movie the other night, and I'd never thought about it before. Not quite in these terms. We have a world war going on today. And it's the war between good and evil. It's the war between God and Satan. It's a war war between what is right and what is wrong. And as I pointed out in that video, there's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. And we are fighting a war against radical Islam. And I've told you before, I don't believe there is radical Islam. There's just Islam. Just like there's not radical Christianity, there's just Christianity. And we are not going to militarily defeat 1.6 billion people. We can't defeat them. We don't have enough guns. There are not enough bullets. Not to mention the world wouldn't let us do it. It would not happen. We've had this war on drugs going on for decades and decades. How effective has that been? It has zero effectiveness. It has not worked. We have a war against the the Christian family where it's changing marriage and marriage is so much better now. Raising children is so much more effective now that we have so many experts telling us how to do it. No, it's not going so well. But what changes? What, how are we going to defeat 1.6 billion people through the gospel of Jesus Christ? The most powerful weapon in the world, and it has changed civilization. I, I read one time where, where Britain, and I don't even remember the, the era, 1200s, I think, if I recall. But they, they were saying at that time that it was like 3% were considered to be Christian. 
There was almost no Christians in that land until God raised up a man who all of a sudden under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, revival breaks out and literally changes a nation. When God can take the gospel of Jesus Christ and go out with it through anointed people who proclaim the gospel and proclaim truth, that can defeat 1.6 billion people. We can't blow them all up. But we can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's happening, as it said in that video. As I've read so many reports, across the Muslim world, people are being saved in droves. They're being driven to the cross in droves and incredible numbers are coming to the the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the most powerful thing. If the president and, and all of our allies would ever get it through their head, wow, the one thing that's really working is the gospel. We need to quit shooting and start preaching. We need to go out there with the message of Jesus Christ. It is happening. And we say, well, why isn't it happening in America? Because we're not being tortured like they are over there. Our lives aren't on the line. I've heard it a million times. Why don't we see more miracles? You know how miracles often come? They typically come in the midst of serious persecution or serious tragedy. You know, we often talk about the, the amazing how, how Paul shook off the, the, the serpent that bit him. And oh man, that was an amazing miracle. And it was, but he had to get bit by the snake. I mean, you had to get bit by the snake. Look at the three Hebrew children that were thrown into the fire, in the fiery furnace. What a great testimony. But they had to get thrown in the furnace. We often want the miracles, but we don't want the payment that goes with the miracle. So, that gospel is the one thing that we have that can change the world. But what's happening in America today, overwhelmingly, is the churches have done like Uzziah, and they've gone in there, and they've let ungodly people pick up the the incense and and act like priests and act like preachers. They've sent their kids to Bible colleges. They've, They've taught them what it is and how to talk and how to do this and how to be an administrator, but they haven't taught them what it is to have the gospel message. They haven't had an encounter with Jesus Christ and they don't know what it really is. We have more and more and more churches that are nothing but centers of, of commerce or centers of fellowship. We have this going on in such numbers it's staggering. And we have things like the purpose-driven church that try to tell us what church is all about. And and service, good works, has replaced the gospel in these churches. Because they go in and they tell you, well, doing good deeds is the very calling of God. The calling of God is is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your, and your spirit and everything in you. Obeying God and loving one another. Good works are a result of, not a means to. When you go out and start your car, you go back to that exhaust pipe, there's exhaust coming out. It's going blah, 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 blah. That's exhaust. You can capture that in a bag and you can try your best, but you cannot make a car out of it. It is the result of a car running. It is not a way to make a car. Good works, service, and and kindness to people like that is a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you cannot make a relationship with Jesus Christ by doing good things. This is where so many of the churches missing it. The purpose-driven church is, is about making the church the way you want it to be. 
It should be comfortable for you. Everything should be... And I, there's nothing wrong with having a comfortable church. It's nothing wrong with having a church that people want to come to. That's fine. But it's not about making you comfortable. If we had wooden benches with no backs, you should be just as willing to be here and worship God. If you had to put three layers of clothes on to stay warm and, 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 and a hat on a mucklux, if that's what it took to come here and worship God, you should be just as willing to be here. Amen. It should not be about pleasing me. It's about pleasing God. Oh, we're blessed. Amen. We are so blessed because we have a comfortable building and it's about five degrees cooler than it should be and people get mad about it. <laughs> Why do they always have that place so cold? Well, I have, a whole, <laughs> I have a whole lot of places in the world that you could go today and you can worship with them and I bet you it's going to be a whole lot more uncomfortable. It's not about making it about what I want it to be or what you want it to be. It's about making it what God wants it to be. And when called people do the work that God called them to do under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it'll change the world. When pretenders get into a position they've never been called to be in, it brings judgment from God. Let's pray. Father, powerful story, God. Powerful message in the story. Powerful lesson for us to learn. I pray, God, that you will help us. Help us to understand how powerful that gospel is. When we tell somebody about you, Lord, it can be a life-changing and even a world-changing event. The, the consequences, the ramifications... The result of proclaiming the gospel, Lord, can only be gauged from heaven because we can never see what it's actually done. It goes beyond anything we can see or understand. Help us to understand. Help us to realize that when we're in that cab, in such a dangerous situation and our life is on the line, and you tell us to tell somebody, an enemy, that you love them. Help us to have the boldness. Help us to have the boldness. For God, we've never been in that situation and we may never in our lives be in that situation. But God, when we're in the grocery store and there's somebody down the aisle from us and you speak to us, give us a boldness to go to that person. When we're at work and we're talking to our coworker and you speak to us, give us the boldness. Give us the courage to do what you've called us to do. Father, for it's so powerful what you've done. Would the church stand? Would you take a moment and just give the Lord worship for He is so worthy of worship? Hallelujah. Lord, we exalt your name today and realize that you are the risen King and the Savior. Father, we realize as the world is turning away as the world is becoming cold and calloused and closed to the gospel of Jesus Christ in so many places, at the same time, Lord, in some of the worst, most horrible places in all of the earth, you're getting through. And so many are getting saved. Father, I praise you for that. I pray, God, that we will realize our place in this. 
And Lord, that we will take up that banner of Jesus Christ. Father, I praise you. 